Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Cop Talk, talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Ed Mamet and Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cop Talk. Um, here are my co-hosts, Captain Ed Mamet. Our guest for this segment of Cop Talk is a man I'm proud to say I've been friends with for a quarter of a century. Stevie Van Zandt is a moderate Renaissance man. Uh, Stevie, as we know, um, achieved many greatnesses besides being a musician, an actor, a broadcaster, as well as as an activist. All these topics will be a focus of our conversations today with Stevie Van Zandt, especially his work. And some of you folks and many of you folks may not even know the support for law enforcement. Stevie, welcome to Cop Talk. How are you doing, Detective? Hey, great to see you again, Stevie. Before we get into the... Before we get into the nitty gritty of the show, what set you in motion as a kid growing up in New Jersey? I mean, what what started you on your way to conquering the world? <laughs> well, I think being in New Jersey was part of it. You know, when you're growing up in New Jersey, you can't wait to get out. <laughs> now, <laughs> of course, uh, since then, I've learned to love where I come from, but uh you know, I think any 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 kid, no matter where you're from, you know, you're trying to you're trying to reach a little higher. You know, you're trying to get to the get to the big time. You know, get to uh, get to where you're going to be. Where get get to where you're going to end up. You know, for us being just an hour, you know, an hour or whatever, seventy five, you know, an hour and a half away from New York City. New York City was the big uh, the big mountain to climb. You know, that was that that was the big challenge, and uh, and uh, you know. You know, that's why the Jersey, the Jersey people usually do well because we we try harder. You know what I mean? We're we're the underdogs. Uh, you know, we're not we're not Philly and we're not New York. You know, <laughs> we're 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 uh, we're the also ran. You know, we're the uh, <laughs> we're, we're we're always the we're always the underdog, and I think that makes us work harder. You know. Let me let me chime in on that for a minute. I, I want to introduce myself. I'm retired Captain uh, Ed, Edward Mamet, 40 year veteran of the New York City Police Department. When I was a young single guy dating, I always found that the Jersey girls were the best of all. They were like, you know, to me, they were like out of town girls, even though they were just across the river. So I used to reach out for these Jersey girls, and one of my greatest girlfriends was from Jersey. So I just want you to know I had this great appreciation for Jersey women. Yeah, me too. Me too. In fact, I I, I, I married one. <laughs> yeah, guys, I had a Jersey Shore house for many years, and uh, before I met my wife Heidi. So, uh, yeah, God bless the uh, God bless the females in Jersey. Um, <laughs> Stevie, is it safe to say you, you know you're probably a rebellious kid? Uh, any any memories, good, bad, or indifferent, otherwise, regards uh, to you growing up with the cops, interacting with the cops in Jersey as a kid? Well. <laughs> Yeah, I had um, we had a couple of incidents. Um, we, you know, we were, we were we were in a suburb that was basically crime free, and so um, you know, uh, being one of the very few hippies, I kind of stood out. You know, uh, so we we had two, we had two incidents, uh, neither of which was uh, very pleasant. Um, first of all, I was I was picked up um, just for hitchhiking, 
And uh, because I had long hair, I was the only really guy, guy in the whole town who had long hair at the time. You know, I'm still a teenager. And, and in the 60s, you know, long hair was a very scary thing to the older generation. And uh, so they, uh, <laughs> they planted the marijuana on, in my cigarettes to, to bust me for, for, for marijuana. And I hadn't, I hadn't started smoking marijuana yet. You know, and, and luckily they, they, they planted the wrong, the wrong brand of cigarettes on me. So I, was, you know, I spent the, the one day in jail and then um, uh, it turned out that they were not going to be able to press charges because uh, it was an obvious plant, you know. So that was my first encounter with, <laughs> with the police. And then, uh, and then we did a gig. And I had a, we had a local law enforcement guy who was a real uh, gung-ho kind of guy. And, uh, and they got all this uh, SWAT, you know, uh, equipment, you know, or, you know, the shields and the helmets and the, and the, and the whole thing. And I'm, and I'm telling you, we're in a town where there's no crime, none, okay? Uh, and so we're playing this gig at this Clearwater pool, you know, and, and, and the pool was kind of recessed. It was like a... It was like a, 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 a like a, a in, inside of a hill, you know, uh, and, and the pool, the pool area was down below, and we're playing there, and it was just a nice, peaceful gathering, you know, a couple thousand kids, and I look up, and it looked like, you know, the Indians, you know, in a Western movie, you know, the entire uh, scene on top of the hill with these cops in, in SWAT gear. <laughs> And they come rushing down, and then they beat everybody up. And uh, it was a big, it was a big local incident. So that was my that was my two encounters with police in, in a in a suburb where there really was no crime and no real, uh, you know, very very different than an urban environment. And uh, you know, we had we had police that we had nothing better to do to tell you the truth, you know. So they picking on the hippies, you know. And of course, I was one of the few hippies in town. So. So that was the beginning of my long and fruitful relationship with law enforcement. I started off a little bit of a bumpy road, but uh, you know, eventually we eventually uh, came to an understanding with each other. You know. Yeah, that's good. That's that's not too bad. Now, where did you move to New York? Uh, pretty early on, you know, I moved up here. Uh, we started making the Darkness on the Edge of Town record, so it would have been uh, 77, 78. So I've been up here. I've been up here 40, 40, 45 years. You know, I've been a long time and. Uh, you know, moved downtown. I don't know. Had a couple of different places downtown uh, starting 15 years ago. I know you lived in Midtown, but that's how we met. That's right. That's right. We first met in Midtown. Um, you know, my wife was a was a ballet dancer and uh, loved ballet, so we, we lived right near uh, right near the Met. You know, right right, right near the Metropolitan Opera House there, uh, so that she could she could walk to the ballet. You know, while I was on the road, and uh, and that's when we first met. And then, yeah, then I moved downtown after that. Now, Steve, how did you get involved with law enforcement, charitable events, raising funds, et cetera? Well, um, uh, you came to me and, and said, uh, you know, you wanted to honor me uh, for whatever, uh, you know, various things I was doing. And, um, and uh, you know, we got into a conversation about it. And you started telling me about the two charities that you were supporting. You know, uh, arms wide open, which is for for handicapped uh, kids. Uh, you know, kids with kids with special needs. I guess we we say now, and and uh, and the widows and uh, children fund. You know that the police, uh, the two the two, the two police charities, and um, 
And, you know, I just was, you know, I got a little conversation. I said, you know, well, how much, you know, how much you expect to raise, you know, because, you know, you do it every year. And I forget, you said, like, whatever you said, you know, I don't know, eight grand, 10 grand, you know, 12 grand. <laughs> it was what it is, you know, it is what, you know, it's, uh, exactly. We were very happy with that until you came along and really burst <laughs> I said, you know, I said, well, come on, Kev, you know, we can do better than that. We decided to go forward with that, uh, you know, uh, together, and uh, and uh, and then we did a little, we did a little bit better than that. So, uh, so you know, I, I was just happy to give something back uh, to law enforcement. You know, we law enforcement gets gets nothing but bad press, and uh, you know, not a lot of love from show business people. Uh, you know, not the show business people that matter anyway. Uh, let's put it that way. You know, I, I thought, you know, let, 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 let's give something back to law enforcement. Let's let's uh, let's uh, show some gratitude and uh, and show and show law enforcement that even uh, liberal uh, independent hippies like me, you know, now I happen to be a law and order independent liberal, but still I, I, I am a liberal independent and um, even liberal, even liberal independents like me uh, want to show great, great, great gratitude uh, to law enforcement. So we, uh, I was happy to uh, get involved, and we've been doing it now, uh, well, seven, eight years, right? Yes, yes. Start, 2015 is when you started the uh, Little Stevens Policeman's Ball, and uh, I believe up to date, it's about 1.8 million uh, in the past seven years, which is a lot yeah, of money yeah, raised. You know? so, yeah, we did improve on that. We, we did improve on that eight grand. You know, yeah. it was good. Yeah, we did. We did slowly but surely. Yeah. No, we appreciate that. Believe me, you've helped so many families and friends in the law enforcement community, not only in New York City, but beyond. Thank you for that. So let's just talk a little bit. About, you have a Rock and Roll Forever Foundation with, with the, the teacher rock te teachers. You know, Can you tell us a little bit about that foundation as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's actually rock and soul now. We, we, it got changed a few years ago, the Rock, the rock and Soul Foundation, which uh, the main thing is the teachrock.org uh, music history curriculum. We started, um, oh man, we, we, we started working on it, I don't know what, 15 years ago. Um, and we just went public with it in these last few years. Uh, but basically, it's a, it's, a, it's a music history curriculum uh, taught in schools. We give it to teachers for free. And we have over 50,000 teachers teaching it now. Uh, we wanted to uh, uh, do several things. We wanted to keep the, keep the arts into the, in the DNA of the public education system because uh, it's been, it's, lately it's been, they took it all out um, with the No Child Left Behind legislation. And uh, removing the arts from the education system is a huge mistake. You know, art is not just a luxury. It shouldn't be treated as a luxury. It's an essential part of the quality of life. It's a wonderful way to teach kids and get their attention and keep their attention. You know, especially this generation. You know, this generation, man. You know, they're they're a lot smarter than us, Kev. You know, they're smarter than us. Oh. They're faster than us. And you got you got to have a reason for them to be there. You got you got to have a reason. Show show them a reason not to look on their device and get an answer in 15 seconds. So we, we found that music is a great common ground and uh, we intend to uh, improve the, uh, the very nature of education with, with, with our curriculum, as well as hopefully once we get a little bit more, a little, a little more of it out there, actually start affecting the, 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 the graduation rate because um, the dropout rate, Kev, you know, as you know, is just uh, intolerable, it's a, it's a scandal. I mean, it's 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 close to it's close to fifty percent in the poor neighborhoods. 
And as you know better than anybody, you and you and Ed, uh, you know, fifty percent of those kids dropping out end up in, in the in the in the in the system, in in the in the justice system, you know. So that's that's a very, very high number. And number and a number that a civilized society should not be tolerating, you know. So uh, if the kid graduates from high school, at least he's got a shot, you know. It, it gives him a better shot. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the uh, decline, equivalent to the decline in law enforcement, uh, with you know cops, girls, and guys leaving the police department, you know, joining the police department and then just quitting because not dealing with it, you know the way everything is today with law enforcement, um, which we'll get to in a few minutes with Captain Ed. But no, it's a great organization, foundation you have with the teachers as well as Little Stevens Policeman's Ball. I mean, you do great things and you help a lot of people. And um, a lot of people, you know, may not know that about you. They just know, you know, Stevie the Rockstar, uh, which is great, a great title as well. Who's, um, you going on tour with someone? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, depending on when this airs, uh, I may already be on tour. <laughs> gotcha, 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 gotcha. So, uh, yeah, we're going out uh, with E Street Band, first time in uh, six years. So it's, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, brand new again. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, yeah, we're going to do, we're going to go out for, for at least a year, maybe, you know, maybe two. Um, just make sure you're back next December for our event at the, the Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll go take a day off. Take a day off for that. Exactly. Leave a slot for that show, you know. How's ticket sales going? I'm sure things are going great, correct? Yeah, it's sold out. Yeah, the whole great. tour is sold out. Uh, it's nice. You know, it's Good. nice after six years. You know, you never know. <laughs> So it's nice. It's nice. We're gonna we're gonna have a. It's gonna be a terrific tour, really. Maybe our biggest tour ever. Great, great. I'm yeah, sure you know, have... Steve, I, I was listening to your background, which is which is fascinating because there's been a sea change in the way you know uh, law enforcement deals with with drugs. When I was a young detective, I was in the narcotics bureau, the old narcotics bureau. I did five years of undercover work. And I did seven years of what we would call uh, oh, out of the undercover work. And one of the big things we were enforcing were the marijuana laws. And I can't tell you how many people I arrested for possession of joints, the seeds, whatever. And now today, people are walking around the streets smoking. So, so you know, it's kind of like I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, uh, you know, I put all these people in jail years ago and now they're out. Now it's legal. And so yeah. listening to you was, was really quite interesting. Um, so I just want to make that point about your background. It's fascinating how you went from a, a, a hippie liberal into a supporter of law enforcement. Probably back when I knew you or back when I was working, I probably would have arrested you also. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the thing with me is I'm still a hippie little. See, I didn't, I didn't change. I just, I just, you know, I, I, I think law enforcement was the one who, you know, they adapted to me, I think, you know what I'm saying? But, but, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame all those years of wasted law enforcement on, 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 on the, on the drug thing. I mean, even now, you know, even now, you know, it should be made legal and, uh, you know, Law enforcement has much more important things to do, as nobody knows better than you. And, uh, you know, <laughs> starting in our neighborhood right now, uh, you know, we just have, we, we just need a, a whole holistic approach to a change in the entire system. And right now in New York, you know, we're not getting a lot of help, you know, from the governor and from the DA. And uh, we're all hoping for this new mayor, you know, it's going to be better than the last mayor when it comes to this stuff. But uh, it's tough. It's tough because the whole system is 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 completely antiquated. Uh, beginning with the prison system, there should be an entirely new prison system. Uh, you know, uh, the the one the, the prison system we have just doesn't work in any way. Uh, and and beginning there, and then you know, beginning with the sentencing, 
and now this no bail thing, you know, people are being arrested and they're out on the street the next day. All of that is just a real, a real serious problem. There's no rehabilitation going on in prison. It's all, it's a joke, and it's they're all overcrowded, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 it begins there. It begins in the courts. It begins with the sentencing, and the police uh, have had their hands tied behind their backs uh, for years. You know, trying to keep up with the public. Uh, you know. Uh, what the public needs. And I'm talking about white and black and everybody, you know, everybody have, feels the same way, uh, very much in need of more law enforcement. And, uh, you know, and it's been a whole misunderstanding about the whole, you know, defund the police. I mean, police need more funding, not less, you know. Me and Kevin I talk about this all the time, you know, beginning with um, right at the academy, right at the academy level, you know, for when police are, are, are first being first being, you know, brought into the system, you know, their, 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 their time on the range is limited. The amount of bullets they can use is limited, you know, on the range. There should be there should be martial arts training for the police for a year or two before they even touch a, a gun. I mean, when I grew up, cops were, were scary and cops were tough. They didn't. They didn't need a gun just to scare me when I was a kid. And I just think. I just think the whole system needs 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 changes. I mean, we need we need uh, the kind of reform we we need for police is 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 more training, more funding, not not less. And and I think you know that would straighten out a lot of things because um, uh, there's no reason you know, to be shooting people when they're, they're, they're unarmed. We know we all know that. And. and uh, you know, uh, I think a year or two of martial arts training would be very good for police to, you know, give them confidence. And then, and then an unlimited amount of time on the range. You know, people always say, "Well, why didn't they shoot him in the leg? Why didn't they shoot him in the arm? Why they got to shoot him? Why do they have to shoot him in the head? Why do they have to shoot him in?" The, you know, well, because they, uh, you know, their their time is limited on the range. You know, they're not they're not given enough time to to become really good marksman or, you know, you know, good, you know, uh, so th these kind of things have to be understood. And, and um, you know, police have a very tough job. They're at, their lives are at risk every single day and they should be given more, more, uh, more, more training, more, more, more weapons training, more martial arts training so that so, so they can make sure that they can defend themselves and give them more confidence. And then they wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be so quick to necessarily, you know, shoot first, you know, in, in, in some cases. So, but um, of course, those are the, those are the cases that get publicized and it's one and it's one out of a hundred thousand, you know I mean? It's uh, it's not even 1%, uh, but unfortunately that's what gets publicized. And uh, people don't understand that the police have their hands tied behind their backs from because of budgets from the moment they enter the academy. You know, so I mean, these things have to these things have to change. The prison system has to change. The sentencing has to change. People need longer sentences, and they need sentences uh, that involve rehabilitation. No prisoner should ever see another prisoner in jail. This concept of like you know, you know, uh, isolation being somehow uh, against uh, humanity, you know, is ridiculous. You know, no no prisoner should ever see another prisoner. I have a whole prison designed in my in my, uh, I started writing a political book addressing a lot of this stuff. And in my book, I, I describe an entirely new prison system where a prisoner never sees another prisoner. They have their own outside area as part of their cell and they have computers, you know, that they have to deal with and, 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 and the ability to learn and educate themselves. And it's a whole system that has to do with rehabilitation and has to do with them never seeing another prisoner. You know, there's a reason why when criminals call uh, jail, you know, they, they get called prison college. There's a reason for that. Uh, Steve, you've opened up a uh, Pandora's box of issues, but let me point out to you the nature of policing. The United States is unique in the way it polices. 
Uh, I used to teach, you know, criminal justice at the college level. In fact, I was teaching in New Jersey down at, you probably remember Brookdale Community College? Yeah, that's right. That's my neighborhood where I grew up. Yeah, okay. So I was, I, I used to teach there while I was still in the New York City Police Department. I was teaching down there on my off-duty time, criminal justice. And I, I have to tell you that the nature of police work in the United States is very different from the rest of the world. Most countries have what they call a national police force. In other words, there's one police force for the entire nation, and it's broken up into, um, you know, sub-districts. The United States each state has its own set of police departments. In fact, in New Jersey, which is a, not that large of a state, has more police departments in the state than any other state in the United States, these little departments. And so one of the problems that we have is uniformity. For example, the New York City Police Department trains its people very well. That doesn't mean that the police in some smaller area get the same kind of training. There's a lot of problems with coordination. Now, there yeah. are national standards. Now, you hit upon... Um, the range. Okay, the national standard for firearms training is four times per year. Now, in a small department like where you grew up, you can do that. You can train four times a year because you're not dealing with large numbers. But New York City, you're dealing with thousands of police officers. So they can only do it about twice a year because otherwise it would be extremely expensive. You know, the ammunition costs a lot of money. And also to to, uh, train uh, 25, 30,000 police officers Four times a year is like turning around an aircraft carrier. It's a big deal. So that's one of the problems New York. New York recognizes the fact that that you should uh, be on the range more than twice a year, but they just it's it's not logistically possible. That's one thing. Now, as far as the shooting in the arm or the leg, that's kind of TV and um, and, and movie land fantasy. In fact, Biden, to his uh, ignorance, made that dopey comment, um, which has enraged police around the country. I don't know if you're aware of it, but some of the larger police organizations supported him and they have now withdrawn their support. They said that if he runs, they're not going to support him because of the comments he made about police should be using less force, uh, aim for the legs and aim for the arms. That's an impossibility. Police are trained to shoot at the largest part of the body, which is called center mass. Okay. And interestingly enough, most police shootings, cops actually miss. Statistically, the research has been done of New York City Police Department shootings and more than likely, they missed the target, even if the firing sent the mess. So this whole uh, idea about cops shooting in the legs and arms is nonsense. You shoot to stop the threat. If you wait too long, you get killed. And so you have to act quickly. Now, we haven't reached the point like in England where they don't carry guns. And the reason that is because England and the British Isles, these are their law-abiding communities, although that's changing. But for centuries, the cops over there never carried guns, the bobbies, because the people respected the police. Here, we don't have respect for the police. So police get involved in situations and they're forced to use force because they're not respected and they're attacked. I mean, look what's going on in New York City just the other day. Two cops in a radio car were shot at by a couple of, uh, you know, teeny boppers. So what are they supposed to do? They have to shoot exactly. back. You know, exactly. so the problem, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and the problem is, is system-wide, it, you have to have coordination between the district attorneys, corrections, the courts and the police. So the United States policing, as I say, is very different from the rest of the world. And that's because of the federal system that we have of each state, each county, each little municipality having their own police agency. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then on top of that, you got to deal with the with the gun laws that are different in every state. Right. That's correct. You know, that's a whole nother and a whole nother problem. And but this is why these kinds of things, they snowball 
all the way from TV shows all the way to the president, you know, shoot him in the arm, shoot him in the leg. When they don't, nobody under, nobody ever explains, you know, the complications of that and the fact that the, the, the police do not have the budgets to be able to do that, you know? And to, for, for my, to, to, my, to my mind, there is absolutely no option in that. You know, we, that budget needs to be found, okay? And it's not like, oh, well, we can't do it because we don't have the budget. We should be very conscious of making sure the police have the budget they need. To, to keep themselves safe and to keep our society safe. We don't think that way, you know, we, we you know, we budget, we budget them the same way we budget whatever, you know, the, the highway, uh, the highway uh, repair or something like that. And it's, it's, they're on the front lines, you know, front, the police are on the front lines every day. They're just like the same way I, I talk about teachers. Teachers are on the front lines fighting the war against ignorance. That's why we, you know, that's why we spend so much time on education. Well, police are on the front lines every day. And here we are spending what 800 billion on defense and uh we're not at war with anybody where's the war the war the war is the one you're fighting you and kevin and 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 the rest of the police you're you're, you're the ones who are in the war uh and and you know why you know some of that 800 billion needs to go uh to you you know even with more budgeting that's not going to stop training regardless police are still going to be taught to shoot at center mass that's how you eliminate misses. You're getting to the largest part of the body. And that's the national standard. So, you know, the idea is to not shoot if you don't have. Now, this thing about martial arts, we don't want our cops engaged in, in, in martial arts because you get injured. You know, one of the greatest injuries police suffer are orthopedic injuries, including myself. If you look at the line of duty injuries uh, and the retirements that take place for line of duty injuries, they're usually orthopedic, backs, legs, arms. And a lot of that has to do with struggles with prisoners. The last thing you want to do is get engaged in close combat with one or more prisoners because that's when you get hurt, you know? So that's why. Right, right. But, 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 but in case that happens, wouldn't it be better if you were better prepared for it? Yes, and that's, that's why point. police now carry tasers and they carry OC spray. Well, those are okay, called, but those are called less, less lethal weapons. Okay, so the... And there is there is a... a, a police are taught to, um, you know, there's an escalation of force uh, doctrine, where you start off at the lowest level, and the last resort is the firearm. Now, when I came in the department, which was many, many years ago, we didn't have uh, OC spray. We didn't have tasers. All we had was a revolver with six shots and a nightstick. And we were very good with the nightsticks. I don't remember ever... Sh I, I was involved in one shooting in a 40-year career. I was involved in one shooting, okay, where I was attacked by six, six people. Um, but other than that, we were pretty good at handling ourselves you know, with the with the with the nightstick is called a baton. Uh, you don't see that anymore. You know, now the, the cops walk around with this little thing that expandable, which is nonsense. That the, just the the mere sight of a baton was scary to a lot of people. I'm sure when you saw cops with a baton, you say, "Hey, I don't want that over my neck or my head." So cops are taught <laughs> to to um, not fire right away. And uh, so I say there are there are means of uh, of um, engaging in um, in force without use of firearms to gain control. But we don't want to get into martial art combat if possible. If you no, have, oh, to, have to, that's no, one thing. But not you don't want to encourage cops to do that. All, all, all I'm saying is it would be better, you know, the more training police have in that area in case they do get into that situation, the better they'll be able to protect themselves and maybe there'll be less orthopedic injuries. That's all I'm saying. Well, you, look, you can never have enough training, but the problem is you have now a problem with shortages. If you don't have enough cops to go on patrol, how are you going to do the training? You have to pull them off patrol to do the training. So, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. 
yeah, when, you have, when you have a fully staffed police agency and you can maintain the basic police function of patrol, you can then pull people off patrol and train them. Right now, the New York City Police Department, for example, is undergoing a severe shortage of personnel. And Kevin can tell you that from his experience, cops are working overtime. They're not getting days off. They're, they're burning out. We had a suicide just the other day. And so there's no time for training at, at this point. We got to pay them more. Stevie, you know? I have a question. Stevie, you know, what is your opinion right now, as Captain Ed just said, personnel with NYPD and actually throughout the country is declining, okay, uh, at a very fast rate. With that said, you know, what is your recommendation? you have any, any thoughts on how to get young people more interested in careers in law enforcement? Uh, polls show, like I said, declining every day. They're declining. I think I, I I think it begins with you know we gotta we gotta pay them better you know you gotta you know they should be they should be very the, the among the highest paid people in society uh, you know how many people are going to work every day with their lives in danger uh, they should be highly paid it's like firemen should be higher high, highly paid um, you begin with that and then I think um, integrating police into into the into the communities I think uh, helps and and uh, and again uh, there's got to be a way for people who know the neighborhood you know to to be to have friends and family in the neighborhood. I think that helps, you know, and, and like Ed, Ed was saying, finding a way to have more respect for the police because it's a highly paid job and highly trained job. You know what I mean? The, the pay should be higher. The training should be more uh, broad, including, you know, uh, community work within the community, perhaps, you know, in, interrelated, you know, uh, somehow, you know, and I think the more the more local the police are and integrated into the neighborhood, the, the better they are, the, the better off everybody is. You know, uh, and that's so we you know. I mean, we need a holistic approach to all of this to help to help the situation out. You can't. There's not any one thing. We need higher budgets for the police, more training, more money for them, more time, more respect, more neighborhood you know involvement, better prison system, better sentencing, all, all of that. You know, uh, better gun laws. I mean, uh, the Second Amendment is the worst thing that ever happened to us. You know, and, and and the and the incredible misinterpretation of the Second Amendment is embarrassing, frankly. I mean, the NRA had an entirely different definition of it 20 years ago. You know, now all of a sudden it's like every year, you know, everybody gets to be their own militia. That's bullshit. And I mean, that, that's just, you know, the first thing that needs to go in this country is that Second Amendment that needs to be like removed. I mean, we should be treating guns the same way we treat car licenses. Right. You know, you need a license to have a car. You should have a license to get a gun. You know, you should be able to know how to use it, how to protect it and be limited to, you know, how many you can have. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. What's your thoughts, Captain? Well, if you want to get um, young people interested in police, you first have to show that they're going to be supported. When I came on, I viewed it as a calling. You know, I'm, most of the people that I came in the department with, they weren't looking to um, to make money because the salaries weren't that great. We looked at it as a calling. We were very proud and we had the support of the community. If you don't have the support of the community and you don't have people looking to uh, the police with respect, you're not going to get these people to come in. Now, I have to say that New York City does a, a pretty good job of trying to recruit. You know, we have the cadet program. We have the police training program. You have places, John Jay College, for example, people go and they get a law enforcement background. And uh, that's how we attract them. But unless you have respect for the police and, you know, they're not going to want the job. They're really not. Um, as far as the salaries go, yes, you have to make the salaries competitive with private industry. 
And um, what's interesting about the New York City Police Department is now a minority majority. When I came in the department, my company, the police academy, we were 35 of us, and we had uh, two or three black guys in my company of 35, and the company was 250 total of the, we were four companies. And in uh, that group, there was maybe 10 black cops. And they were as good as I am because they passed the same test I did. They met all the qualifications I did. There was no lowering of the standards. And, you know, they did the same job I did. Today, the um, Hispanic and black numbers actually exceed the, the whites. So you have, even though they're called minorities, they are the majority of the police department. So the nature of policing is changing all over the country. In fact, if you look at what's going on, you'll see many police chiefs are not white or non-white or Hispanic. So in that sense, uh, you know, you were talking about slavery and the black ghettos and all. The the black population is getting more and more involved in government, and they're taking over leadership roles. I mean, you'll just look here. We have a two, we've had two black mayors in my time. You know, so we're getting there. Now, how long it's going to take, who knows? But I think eventually there'll be integration, full integration, the way you're you're talking. Yeah, no, it's just been it's just been ridiculously slow. But but yeah, we know we're we're heading in the right direction, no no doubt about it. You know, but man, is is progress is is just too slow. You know, too I'll have slow. patience. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> how would you how do you think we could bridge the gap between? You know, the liberals and the progressives and the law enforcement community. How can we bridge that gap? I don't think it's as big a gap as as as, as is publicized, first of all. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of the extreme left, just like the extreme right, you know, they got the biggest mouths, okay, but they're not necessarily the majority in any kind of way. You know, you talk to any any anybody, and you know, any any black person in, in a black neighborhood, they don't see the police often enough. Believe me. So I mean, you know, I, I think everything we're talking about is gonna is gonna help. We're gonna have to be a little bit more careful, obviously, and I think a little more training is gonna help everybody, and a little more pay is gonna help everybody. I I know Ed talking about pride. Pride is a little hard to come by these days, okay? Uh, you know, a little bit harder than it used to be. And, uh, you know, a little extra money maybe is going to help that pride. You know, that's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. And I, and I think we need to do that. And, and just to give the, the police the same respect, because unfortunately, that's how people are measured these days. You know, it's a different world. People are measured by the money they make by the money they have. You know, money has become, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, you know, the religion of America, you know, and maybe it always was, but uh, certainly never, never as much as it is now. Uh, so, so I think, I think, you know, that money is a factor when it comes to um, recruiting, you know, and, and again, the respect of the neighborhood and, and, and all of that that we're talking about. And, but I think more training helps. And I think, um, I, I know martial arts seems like a, some kind of uh, uh, unrealistic uh, goal, but I, I think it has, a, it has a symbolic meaning also. You know, the police are going to go out of their way, you know, to try and stop people who are unarmed. You know, the unarmed thing is what is what is what gets exaggerated, you know, gets exaggerated, but also gets gets publicized. You know, when people are shot that are that are unarmed and then maybe they're on angel dust or whatever they got, you know, whatever, they're attacking a police officer. I, I, I just think a police officer that can handle themselves in that situation is going to help the 
the symbolic nature of it all, the, the, the publicity nature of it all, you know, shooting, like Ed said, only when you absolutely have to, which uh, should never be when the person is unarmed. Uh, you know, I, I, that's my own belief, okay? Police officers should be able to handle people who are, who are not armed in a way that is, you know, not going not gonna to be blown up into something exaggerated, you know, that's all. I, I think the gap is, is, is uh, you know, we, we need to just have the better understanding, the more, the more, People get together and talk to each other. Um, and anything that and anything that ena enables that, that encourages that, I think is a good thing. And again, the, the slowly making these ghettos not ghettos. You know, in, you know, we're not, we're, not, we're not an integrated nation. Okay, we've been trying to integrate this nation ever since Abraham Lincoln. Okay, and we have not done a very good job of it. We gotta we gotta figure that out, and that, and that starts to involve the immigrant thing. It's a whole nother discussion we can have. You know, I'm very conservative when it comes to immigration. There's 10 million, uh, you know, undocumented immigrants in our country, and, and 10 million out of the 10 million are working. All right, uh, I you know they're 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 your they're your gardeners and your waiters and your you know I mean there should be a path to citizenship for them and yes there should be an absolute border line you know border that's protected. We need to start addressing these things. We need we need immigrants in this country. They're, 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 you know, believe me, the day immigrants stop working in our country, we, we come to a complete halt. So that's a whole nother thing. But they have to be integrated. And nobody talks about that. We need to integrate immigrants just like we need to integrate a black population after, you know, 400 years or whatever it's been. You know, come on, what are we doing? Well, we need, we need to start making some moves here to help you out, all right? Because, you know, you can't, you, you police, the, all the pressure is on police to do these things that are unrealistic and impractical. And on top of that, your life's in danger and you're underpaid and you're undertrained. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. And, and you should be getting more respect because of what you do, not less. You know, Stevie, the average, you know, cop today coming on the job in the police academy, what they start with the first year or two, really, they have to live at home because they can't afford an apartment. Forget about it. And they say, oh, you like the cops to live in the city of New York. Well, show me an apartment that you can get for 500 a month and I'll move there. No, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. It's a full circle, you know, and, and, and also, you know, cops throughout the nation, you know, do this job for a lot less. A lot, a lot of people wouldn't do this for a million dollars. No, they don't it. get the respect. And that's why today, as the captain spoke about and you touched on, you know, the decline in law enforcement personnel leaving. I mean, there's kids, you know, back when I came on in 1985, guys maybe left NYPD to go to Nassau County because they paid more, Suffolk County because they paid more, fire department because they wanted to put out fires. Today, there's a lot of kids just leaving to leave and just go work in the supermarket, not even, or maybe, follow their career, what they, whatever they got a degree in from college. It's just a different world today. And um, it's, uh, that's why we need to support the police throughout the country as well as the world moving forward. And we need to stop all the BS, you know? Yeah, I, I'd um, like to comment again. Steve, you seem to have this great concern about martial arts. It's more complicated than you think. I, you know, theoretically, you're correct. But let me point this out to you. When I came in the department, which was uh, many, many, many years ago, it was all male. Very few female. We had a separate title for the women. They were called police women, and they were limited. There was only 250, and they were assigned to dealing with children alike. So most of the cops were big, burly Irish guys, tough guys, World War II veterans, Korean War veterans. They could handle themselves. Okay, there was a height limit, and I was one of the smallest guys in the job. I had just made the height limit. Today, there is no height limit. You have a lot of women. Now, without sounding sexist, it's very hard 
for a small five foot two women to get involved with a six foot three ox in a struggle, you know, someone who's crazed on, on speed and struggle with them, you know? So that theory that you have sounds great, but the realization is it's, it's very difficult. Ed, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that should be the, the, you know, that should be the normal way that, 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 that police are dealing with perpetrators. I'm saying if in fact you find yourself in that situation, which is, which is going to happen inevitably, okay i'm just saying wouldn't it be better if you're prepared or if a five foot two woman is prepared and i believe that should be the truth that should be the case with women uh, beyond the police department okay you want to end sexual assaults there's only one way to do it all right that's train women in martial arts from when from kindergarten all right that's what that's i would be idea. doing that's a good idea. you know it just gives you more confidence it gives you it gives you more ability it's more tools for your trade that's all i'm saying you know why not what what harm's it going to do you may never use it you may never have an encounter with somebody where you got to wrestle them to the ground or whatever it is you know but in case you do wouldn't it be better to be prepared for it that's all i'm no, saying no, no i agree with you but let me point this out to you what good is the training when you have like a city council that we have in new york they but they prohibited cops from doing you know what they call chest compression where you can't sit on someone's back to hold them down. You can, you can wind up committing a crime if you do that. So the, the politicians are restraining the police, where, where even if you wanted to be engaged in martial arts, you have to be careful how you do it. You can wind up going right. just for violating right. stupid, stupid law that these dopey politicians passed. So, you know, you need political support for some of these things you want. No, absolutely you do. Absolutely you do. I'm saying there's a whole holistic approach. It's a big approach than any one thing. But, you know, you got to be the, the proper training is the proper training. And this way you avoid, you know, uh, you know, some guy dying, you know, who's out there selling cigarettes on the street. You know what I mean? That's the thing that, that all of a sudden gets blown up forever. And it can be avoided if the training is, is right. And then, OK, this is a dangerous move. You can't do this. You can't do that. But there's a million other things you can do. And, 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 and you know, and, and the better the better the training, the better for everybody is all I can say. Yeah. You know, you know, Stevie, I'll say it starts with compliance. Uniform police officer approaches you and says, sir, ma'am, you're I, under arrest. Please put your hands behind your back. Okay, I agree. we'll figure it out in court. Once you start, I'm not going today and we're going to fight, that's a problem. So I know. No, 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 no. That, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely so, true. And, okay. and one last note, and then I know you agree, but one last note on that as well is a cop has a split-second decision to make in most arrests, okay? So when, especially when a situation goes bad, it's a split-second decision. You have to make the hope that no one's getting hurt here, including yourself. You're going home to your family. And unfortunately, sometimes they go a different way. With that said, all these politicians have hours, days, weeks, and months to figure out what should that cop maybe done different. Guess what? He or she had a split-second decision. Hopefully, it's the right decision. Most of the time, it is the right decision. But when, there's, when it's not, like I said, they have all the time in the world to figure it out when you have a split second to see. That's right, Kevin. And, and, that, and that goes to exactly what I'm saying. What's going to help that split second decision? More training. That's what. Okay. We don't go on stage, okay, you know, with a couple of, you know, you know training four times a year. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? We, we, we go on stage with 10,000 hours of training behind us. 10,000 hours. We go on stage and you know what? We do a great show every single time. Why? Because of the training. 
rehearsal, okay? And then the same thing applies here. You know exactly what you're saying. You got to, and of course, it's it's far more serious. You know, in your situation, you know, nobody nobody dies. You know, in rock and roll. You know, you know, except we lost a few people this week. You're you're in a, you're in a life and death situation, and I'm saying to you, that means more training, not less, more for that split second moment for your own protection. That's all I'm saying. Yes, it it also is good for society, of course, and that society sees this. Hey, the guy was doing the right thing. What would you do in that situation? You would do the same thing. You got to make sure that that's the way that it, it gets publicized. And that's going to happen with more training. That's all I'm saying. You, you, you improve your odds. You improve your odds of coming out of, of going home to your family. True. Very true. You know, Stevie, let's talk about crime in your neighborhood since you live in New York City. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Can we talk about the crime in your neighborhood? The problem, again, right now the crimes are, are first of all, um, the homeless thing is out of control. And, and, and this is something no one has been addressing for 50 years. All right? I mean, you know, you, you go watch a polit- politicians talk. It never even comes up. All right. It doesn't even, you know, they didn't even want to discuss it. We got it bad. But, you know, if you've been to L.A. or San Francisco lately, you can't believe what's going on there. It looks like it looks like Africa or India. I mean, look, I mean, miles of homeless people. All right. Again, I address this in my political book that I'll probably never finish and never come out. But I talk about we need to build transitional villages. Okay, we need to build transitional neighborhoods outside of the major cities where the home where we can house the homeless and also immigrants, by the way, or refugees. All right. Transitional housing, which is not getting ghettos, not not garbage, but real, real housing with doctors and nurses and teachers and psychologists and everybody that we need in those situations to help people but we need to we need to address this you build you build these you know whatever they're going to be thousand people neighborhoods outside of every major city or or, you know uh, we have i don't know what the last number is somewhere uh i don't know what it is five hundred thousand six hundred thousand a million a million homeless you know but but it needs to be they need to be housed and taken care of in terms of mental help and physical help uh, and job training, whatever it is, in terms of you know, in, in, in English, in terms of immigrants and refugees, all all they all need to be put into what I call transitional housing, and I mean transitional, not permanent. You know, they're gonna they're gonna pass through there. They're going to get well, whatever, if they're mentally ill, you know, if they're too far gone, you know, then, then it does become permanent. But if they're, you know, they're just physically down on their luck, you know, or an immigrant learning, learning English, let them pass through there and then get integrated into society. They must be integrated into society and not ghettoized in the middle of society. I worked with the homeless for, for many, many years, 40 years ago. And the thinking was, we need to integrate the homeless into into our urban centers. All right. So this way, this will help the homeless eventually integrate into society. This concept is completely wrong. It's wrong. It has failed. Okay. And all it does is lower the quality of life for everybody. And I'm sorry. 
that ain't right. That ain't right, you know. And, and, you know, and we and I nobody feels more for the homeless than I do. And I'm telling you, I worked a lot of a lot of years on that on that issue. But this is the answer. The answer is to give them housing in a separate place so that people can have quality of life who are, you know, have managed to not be homeless. We're going to lower the quality of life for everybody because there's some homeless or, you know, because of immigrants or because of refugees. That's not the way to think. Put them in a separate place and help them, just like the rehabilitation and prison system. Those prisoners need to be integrated back into society, not taught how to be better criminals, which is what's happening right now in prisons. All they're doing is being taught how to be better criminals. It's not working. Our society doesn't work, okay? And we got to stop stop uh, avoiding the issues and start confronting these issues and say, okay, what's the answers here? We need some answers. And it just makes you, you guys' life much harder. And our quality of life, here we are. I mean, I was in the best neighborhood in New York. This was the best neighborhood in New York. It's not the worst, okay? Why? I mean, my, my wife's been accosted by homeless people four or five times now. Not nothing serious, but they're putting their hands on her. That's not acceptable. And, and, and you know, and then we got a park. You know, the park. You know, we're, we're you know we're close to one of the parks, and uh, nothing but drug dealers in there. And I'm for drugs being legal, first of all. So you know, you know, I got nothing against drugs being legal. But the drug dealers that are in the park, you know, are are, are not the uh, not not the friendliest. Uh, you know, among uh, among our society. You know, they're not, they're not you know they're not nice guys. You know, so so you know we got we got nothing but drug dealers and homeless right now because of the pandemic, because of the quarantine. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I've had I've had some help from the police department. You know, once in a while they'll send a car. You know. And they'll park it in front of my house for for a, for a little while, which uh, believe me works. You know, it, it works. I mean, the, the the neighborhood instantly becomes better. You know, when you get a police car parked on, on uh, you know in front of your house, believe me. But you know, they can't do that all the time. You know, they gotta you know like you know Ed, Ed was saying, they're very much understaffed now, and you know we're looking to get out. You know, uh, I, I'm not sure much. I'm not, I'm not may not tolerate this much longer if things don't improve. I'm gonna get out of here and and, and go somewhere where where it's safe and that's a shame if you start losing a tax base like my tax base you're really going to have problems very true steve uh, you're preaching to the choir because you and i are just about neighbors we're basically in the same neighborhood and i see the same things you do in fact i want to tell you this a few uh, months ago i parked my car right in front of my building which is not far from where you live and I come down in the morning and I start the engine. It sounds like an explosion. During the night, the catalytic converter of my 22-year-old car was cut out. And it cost $900 oh. to replace that converter. Thank goodness I wow. had insurance. The insurance company allowed me 700 bucks. But that's how bad things are. Before that, um, somebody met me here for dinner. Uh, she parked her car uh, right uh, near, near my building. I get a call from the doorman who saw on the surveillance camera that a guy walks by with a, with a bag, he looks the car over, takes a big rock, throws it through the window of her car, smashes it, and steals the contents. I mean, she was foolish enough to leave her personal belongings in a back seat. But this is in broad mm -hmm. daylight. I mean, this is what's going on in an area that at one time was considered very, you know, upscale, you know, and, and, and it's crazy. And then, then you, have, you have the drug dealers all over the place and the homeless accosting you, sleeping outside your door, right? Yeah. urinating and defecating if, if you in my building there is a bank and they sneak into the uh where the uh, machine is and they sleep in there and they use it as a as a toilet you yeah know, so, yeah so it affects everybody it's, it's it's really it's it's not acceptable by a by a you know 
by a civilized society, you know, and, 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 and turning, turning our heads away from it is not solving anything. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And we need to address it. And I'm telling you, that's the answer. There should be nobody homeless in, in, in the cities. They should, they should be housed and taken care of in a separate area. It's you know, not in just a the homeless. We were talking about the drug deals. Look, it's a question of law enforcement. We have a district attorney. You, on day one, you saw that uh, manifesto he put out. We're not going to charge for this, that, and the other thing. He just about eliminated anything, you know, any criminal punishment. We need strong law enforcement. We need district attorneys who are going to prosecute these people. And we need, we need the judges to sentence them. We got to get them off the street if they're criminals. As far as the homeless, being homeless is not a crime. But drug dealing is. Boosting is. Stealing catalytic converters is a crime. Smashing the car window. These are the people that have to be arrested and prosecuted. And until we get strong prosecution, that's we're going to have this problem. So, Absolutely. You know, and those people that voted for a guy like Bragg, in my opinion, deserve what they're getting. If you're living in Manhattan and you're complaining about crime and you voted Democratic for Bragg, then shame on you. You got you're stuck yeah. with it. Now, I know you're quite yeah. a liberal, but I hope next time you vote, you're not going to vote for a guy like Bragg if you're still in the city. No, no, no. no. I'm, I'm telling you, I am a law and order liberal, okay? <laughs> I'm a law and order liberal. That's not a contradiction in terms, all right? That's, that's very right? true. That's very true. You are, Stevie. That's very true. And even if they arrested the guy who stole the catalytic converter, if they arrested him, he's back on the street the next day. This cannot continue like this. Believe me, it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a problem that goes all the way again to the you know the prisons. The prisons have to be uh, you know there's no room in the prisons either. You know, so that's got to be expanded and it's got to be redefined and rebuilt and and re reimagined. The entire prison system needs to be bigger and and more and 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 more. Uh, uh, thinking in terms of how is it going to affect the society, not just housing people and getting them out of sight, so that they, the recidivism, the recidivism is is, is out of control, because is you know they're coming out of jail, they got no no work, they got no they got no uh, craft, they got no rehabilitation, and what are they going to do? They go back to now they now they're better criminals because they've been hanging out with better criminals in prison, you know. So it all it all it's all connected, you know. Siri, your thoughts on policing today? Well, we've been talking about it. Uh, everything Everything I've, everything, I've, everything I've said, I think, I think you know, the pay needs to be increased, the training needs to be increased, and, uh, as much as we can integrate it into the neighborhoods. I would try and prioritize a little bit more. I think a lot of traffic stops have become problematic. We got to be a little bit, I think, a little bit maybe adjusting to, you know, making sure that the police are, uh, their time is being used most wisely, um, getting help from community organizers. They need to work with community organizers and integrate into the neighborhoods better. And But it starts off with, have the, with the budget. The budget needs to be a, a, a appropriate for the for the job, you know. And, and by the way, it's the same thing with teachers. You know, you got teachers and cops starting their their, their careers. They're twenty seven thousand a year, thirty thousand. I mean, what are you gonna do with that? You can't live. You can't live on it. Uh, that's ridiculous. The way we uh, have uh, nobody's adjusting to the fact that, that that money has no value anymore, which is a whole other discussion we, we should have someday. But you know, it's not just even employment anymore. 
it's the value of the dollar. Why, where's it going? You know, how far can it go? And it's going less and less. And that's why the whole world is pissed off, by the way. You're not just here. That's why fascism is on the rise everywhere. I, I, I did two world tours right before the pandemic. It's everywhere. You're seeing fascism rising, authoritarianism rising, and religious extremism rising everywhere. Why? Because everybody is disappointed with their lives. Okay, everybody. All right. They're working twice as hard for for half the return that they used to get. Okay, which pisses everybody off. So along come these demagogues, uh, these these, you know, these these wise guys, con men and say, uh, you know, you're working twice as hard and you're getting nothing for it. But guess what? It's not your fault. It's the black guy's fault. It's the immigrants fault. And people buy that. You know, they, they, they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to take any responsibility for themselves or look at the bigger picture. They want to blame somebody. And that's what's going on, you know, and that's why everybody is, everybody is disappointed with their lives right now because they can't get ahead. So we have to start facing these problems and, and, and finding some solutions. And part of it is the value, the value of the dollar. I mean, right now we got these, you know, these assholes in the house who, you know, want to, want to, want to tax everybody 30% more. For every single thing you buy, 30% more, and eliminate Social Security, which we've all paid into already, and Medicare. That's what that's what that's what that's what the Republican solution is right now. You know, this is what you know. This is what we got to deal with, and and, and you know, and, and, and we have to start looking at this like saying, why are people disappointed with their lives? Let's let's figure this out. Society does not work anymore. We are a dysfunctional society that's holding on by threads, you know? And you guys are on the front line trying to keep this thing together with, you know, bubble gum and, and, and band-aids. We got to start facing this, you know, we, we, we really do. I mean, we're, 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 losing our, we're losing this wonderful country that we've built. Speaking about shortages and speaking about, uh, there's a shortage in nursing as well. You know, they're also first responders on, on, our front, on the front line as well. There's a huge shortage in this country, especially New York City, in nursing as well. And then and nurses get paid pretty well, but they get burnt out. They're overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overworked, and um, they get burnt cool. out just like the cops are and the teachers are. True, you know, and then, and then you know we got Elon Musk, you know, going to Mars because he got nothing better to do with his billions of dollars. So we need some adjustments here, you know. Yeah, my thoughts on policing today is is until the the um, the general public shows respect for the police like they did years ago, we're going to have a major problem. And a lot of this, most of this stuff comes around because of the George Floyd incident. And what's most interesting, they burned down Minneapolis, but now they're they're trying to get cops back and paying them bonuses. So it's crazy. But that case, the George Floyd case, has severely impacted policing in the United States. People don't want to come in anymore. They don't see it as a calling. Now they see it as just a job. And if they're not happy, they leave. In my time, it was a calling. You came in, you stayed with it. You know, even though you weren't getting paid what you got in private industry, you loved the job. I enjoyed going to work. I used to work 4 to 12s. I used to love it. You know, I couldn't wait when I, I was single at the time. My parents would say, what are you running out to get killed for? I said, I love it. And then when I got married, it was the same thing. Today, it's different. Um, I'm sure Kevin, who is, you know, much more up on this than I am, could tell you the same thing. It's no longer a calling. It's just a job, you know, nine to five, whatever the hours are. And if something better comes along, I'm leaving. Correct, Kevin? That is correct. That is correct. And again, not even going to other police departments, just going somewhere else, wherever the job may be. It's about money. Yeah, 
So, yeah, so young people, they don't see the, the job the way I thought, saw it as a kid. And don't forget, I, I first generation, my parents were depression. I was from, you know, out of the depression. Well, I wasn't during the depression, but I grew up uh, right after it. And the, the attraction for police work was great. The attraction for many civil service positions were great, but that's not the case anymore. Um, so unless we take a strong stand on, on policing and support the police nationwide, we're going to have a continual problem. I agree. Yeah. Very, very different world. It's a very different world, and we need to adjust. We need to adjust to it. Stevie, I want to thank you for being a guest on our show, Cop Talk. Uh, you've been a great guest. It's such an interesting uh, conversation. So thank you so much, and God bless you and your family, and good luck to you on your tour. Um, I think you guys went up in Tampa. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Yep. And I, I, I thank you. It's been my pleasure, and uh, I thank you both uh, for your service. I thank you on behalf of uh, the entire uh, rock and roll world. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank Steve. you for every. Thank you for everything you do every day for law enforcement throughout the country. Thank you so much for being a guest. 